of Human Bondage by William Somerset Maugham. Chapter 56, Segment 1. He could not get her out of his mind. He laughed angrily at his own foolishness. It was absurd to care what an anemic little waitress said to him. But he was strangely humiliated. Though no one knew of the humiliation but Dunsford, and he had certainly forgotten, Philip felt that he could have no peace till he had wiped it out. He thought over what he had better do. He made up his mind that he would go to the shop every day. It was obvious that he had made a disagreeable impression on her, but he thought he had the wits to eradicate it. He would take care not to say anything at which the most susceptible person could be offended. All this he did, but it had no effect. When he went in and said, Good evening, she answered with the same words. But when once he omitted to say it, in order to see whether she would say it first, she said nothing at all. He murmured in his heart an expression which, though frequently applicable to members of the female sex, is not often used of them in polite society. But with an unmoved face, he ordered his tea. He made up his mind not to speak a word, and left the shop without his usual good night. He promised himself that he would not go any more. But the next day, at tea-time, he grew restless. He tried to think of other things, but he had no command over his thoughts. At last he said desperately, "'After all, there's no reason why I shouldn't go if I want to.' The struggle with himself had taken a long time, and it was getting on for seven when he entered the shop. "'I thought you weren't coming,' the girl said to him when he sat down. His heart leaped in his bosom, and he felt himself reddening. "'I was detained. I couldn't come before.' "'Cutting up people, I suppose. "'Not so bad as that. "'You are a student, aren't you?' "'Yes.' "'But that seemed to satisfy her curiosity. "'She went away, and since at that late hour "'there was nobody else at her tables, "'she immersed herself in a novelette. "'This was before the time of the sixpenny reprints. "'There was a regular supply of inexpensive fiction "'written to order by poor hacks,' for the consumption of the illiterate. Philip was elated. She had addressed him of her own accord. He saw the time approaching when his turn would come, and he would tell her exactly what he thought of her. It would be a great comfort to express the immensity of his contempt. He looked at her. It was true that her profile was beautiful. It was extraordinary how English girls of that class had so often a perfection of outline which took your breath away but it was as cold as marble, and the faint green of her delicate skin gave an impression of unhealthiness. All the waitresses were dressed alike, in plain black dresses, with a white apron, cuffs, and a small cap. On a half-sheet of paper that he had in his pocket, Philip made a sketch of her as she sat leaning over her book. She outlined the words with her lips as she read, and left it on the table when he went away. It was an inspiration, for the next day when he came in, she smiled at him. "'I didn't know you could draw,' she said. "'I was an art student in Paris for two years. I showed that drawing you left behind you last night to the manageress, and she was struck with it. Was it meant to be me?' "'It was,' said Philip. When she went for his tea, one of the other girls came up to him. "'I saw that picture you done of Miss Rogers. "'It was the very image of her,' she said. "'That was the first time he had heard her name, "'and when he wanted his bill, he called her by it. "'I see you know my name,' she said. 
when he came. Your friend mentioned it when she said something to me about the drawing. She wants you to do one of her. Don't you do it. If you once begin, you'll have to go on, and they'll all be wanting you to do them. Then, without a pause, with peculiar inconsequence, she said, Where's that young fellow that used to come with you? Has he gone away? Fancy you're remembering him, said Philip. He was a nice-looking young fellow. Philip felt quite a peculiar sensation in his heart. He did not know what it was. Dunsford had jolly curling hair, a fresh complexion, and a beautiful smile. Philip thought of these advantages with envy. Oh, he's in love, said he with a little laugh. Philip repeated every word of the conversation to himself as he limped home. She was quite friendly with him now. When opportunity arose, he would offer to make a more finished sketch of her. He was sure she would like that. Her face was interesting. The profile was lovely, and there was something curiously fascinating about the chlorotic color. He tried to think what it was like. At first he thought of pea soup, but driving away that idea angrily, he thought of the petals of a yellow rosebud when you tore it to pieces before it had burst. He had no ill feeling towards her now. She's not a bad sort, he murmured. It was silly of him to take offense at what she had said. It was doubtless his own fault. She had not meant to make herself disagreeable. He ought to be accustomed by now to making, at first sight, a bad impression on people. He was flattered at the success of his drawing. She looked upon him with more interest now that she was aware of this small talent. He was restless the next day. He thought of going to lunch at the tea shop, but he was certain there would be many people there then, and Mildred would not be able to talk to him. He had managed before this to get out of having tea with Dunsford, and punctually, at half-past four, he had looked at his watch a dozen times, he went into the shop. End of segment one. Chapter 56, Segment 2 Mildred had her back turned to him. She was sitting down, talking to the German whom Philip had seen there every day till a fortnight ago, and since then had not seen at all. She was laughing at what he said. Philip thought she had a common laugh, and it made him shudder. He called her, but she took no notice. He called her again. Then, growing angry, for he was impatient, he rapped the table loudly with his stick. She approached sulkily. "'How do you do?' he said. "'You seem to be in a great hurry.' She looked down at him with the insolent manner which he knew so well. "'I say, what's the matter with you?' he asked. "'If you kindly give your order, I'll get what you want. I can't stand here talking all night.' "'Tea and toasted bun, please,' Philip said briefly. He was furious with her. He had the star with him and read it elaborately when she brought the tea.' "'If you give me my bill now, I needn't trouble you again,' he said icily. She wrote out the slip, placed it on the table, and went back to the German. Soon she was talking to him with animation. He was a man of middle height, with the round head of his nation and a sallow face. His mustache was large and bristling. He had on a tailcoat and gray trousers, and he wore a massive gold watch chain. 
Philip thought the other girls looked from him to the pair at the table and exchanged significant glances. He felt certain that they were laughing at him, and his blood boiled. He detested Mildred now with all his heart. He knew that the best thing he could do was to cease coming to the tea shop, but he could not bear to think that he had been worsened in the affair, and he devised a plan to show her that he despised her. Next day, he sat down at another table and ordered his tea from another waitress. Mildred's friend was there again, and she was talking to him. She paid no attention to Philip, and so when he went out, he chose a moment when she had to cross his path. As he passed, he looked at her as though he had never seen her before. He repeated this for three or four days. He expected that presently she would take the opportunity to say something to him. He thought she would ask why he never came to one of her tables now, and he had prepared an answer charged with all the loathing he felt for her. He knew it was absurd to trouble, but he could not help himself. She had beaten him again. The German suddenly disappeared, but Philip still sat at other tables. She paid no attention to him. Suddenly he realized that what he did was a matter of complete indifference to her. He could go on that way till doomsday, and it would have no effect. I've not yet finished, he said to himself. The day after, he sat down in his old seat, and when she came up, said good evening as though he had not ignored her for a week. His face was placid, but he could not prevent the mad beating of his heart. At that time, the musical comedy had lately leaped into public favor, and he was sure that Mildred would be delighted to go to one. I say, he said suddenly, I wonder if you dine with me one night and come to the Belle of New York. I'll get a couple of stalls. He added the last sentence in order to tempt her. He knew that when girls went to the play, it was either in the pit or, if some man took them, seldom to more expensive seats than the upper circle. Mildred's pale face showed no change of expression. I don't mind, she said. When will you come? I get off early on Thursdays. They made arrangements. Mildred lived with an aunt at Hearn Hill. The play began at eight, so they must dine at seven. She proposed that he should meet her in the second-class waiting room at Victoria Station. She showed no pleasure, but accepted the invitation as though she conferred a favor. Philip was vaguely irritated. End of segment two.